All right. Welcome to another edition of the Edlo Podcast. Subscribe, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet, I don't even know what you're doing with your life. So you need to subscribe to my podcast because this, I think, is uh, one of the most exciting podcasts I've done. Um, I have Tom Arnold here. Tom, thanks for coming on the podcast. I've been a huge fan for a long time. Thank you, buddy. Good to be here. Good to finally figure out how to log on here. As you can see, there's chaos. There's chaos in the Arnold House this morning. Around, but uh, but I'm really happy to be here with you. Yeah, well, I got to tell you, as a father, I have four kids. They're a little bit older than yours, 17, 15, 12, and 10, and I understand the chaos. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's fun, though. It's the best, it's the best g- game in town. You know, it is. Fun. I love it. Well, and the thing that's cool about that, I mean, I'll tell you, I know your kids, your kids are 10 and 7? Yeah. Yeah. So I think personally, this time of my life as a father is my favorite, you know, because uh, especially my son is a senior and my daughter is a freshman and like they're becoming, you start, you get a chance to start seeing the people they're going to become and it's exciting and terrifying. (laughs) I, I feel my kids, I feel kids in general come to us fully formed and it's our job to not only protect them, but to to figure out who they are and help them become that person, like you know, I, I, I when my son was born, I thought, well, he's just like me. He thinks like me. He, he does the same stuff I do, and that's just not true. And uh, you know, sometimes, but especially with my daughter, it's just been a lot of fun figure, figuring out who she is and what you know, her sense of humor or her feelings or what she likes to do and why she does it. You know, they, as you know, our, our kids are different than each other. Most families have a kid that's this way, then another kid this way. By the way, she painted my nails. I, uh, I, we do, uh, once a month, we do dad-daughter day, dad-daughter night, and and then also a father-son. It's a, it's a good chance when they're together all the time, you know, we get close quarters over here, to have one day, where you just have one of them and you say yes to everything. And, uh, you know, she wanted, I picked her up at school Friday. She wanted to do nails. My, my toenails are done. I kind of like it. I like it because when she's not here, I think of her. And people ask me about my nails and then I get to talk about my daughter. So I like that part a lot. You know, I know you said that now where you are is your favorite time. Um, you know, I'm old, quite a bit older than you. And I remember... First of all, when I got divorced seven years ago for the mom, my lawyer says, well, what do you want? And I said, well, I want the kids half the time. And he's like, no, you don't. No, no, you want them when they're like seven and they're fun. I go, no, no, I want today. Because mm-hmm. since before, I've been doing everything and I could continue to do that. And, um, you know, I've, I've uh, enjoyed it. I, I, I kind of miss the baby part. I have to be honest because when they're babies, they were right here, like uh, four months, six months. You can do everything right here in your hand. Give them bath, uh, feed them, they go to sleep. They weren't running away from you, you know. Um, and we, we do see babies sometimes. I'll be out with my daughter, and she said, she'll said, she say, Daddy, can we get a baby? And I'll say, well, you know, um, I promise you this. If we're driving down the street and we see someone who doesn't want a baby, we will, t- we will adopt that baby. But otherwise. <laughs> And she's aware I haven't had a date in six and a half years. So <laughs> a lot of baby, you know, uh, but I not do a, it 
get why people want that. Yeah, man. You know, that's, it, it's funny because the thing about, I've said this on my podcast before, the thing that's so weird about, about being a, a dad is that you're not really like a, a dad of, of one person. Like they be, they're a baby, then they're a toddler, then they're a yeah. little, you know, and, and every stage it, it, you don't really notice the transitions and then you never really get a chance to say goodbye to the one you loved before, right. but you got this new person that you got to get used to. And it's, I love that. I love what you said about the daddy daughter dates. I try to do that once a quarter with all my kids. And I just, it's funny because my son, like my 10 year old son, you know, we're here in Sacramento. We got season tickets to the Kings. So we go to all the Kings games. That's our, that's our father's son's thing. Right. But, but my daughter, like I took her out, it was her birthday was just this last weekend. So I took her out last night and she just is so hard. Like she just is like, you know, she's 15, right? She doesn't really want to hang out with her dad. So I'm like, I'm like, so what do you want to do? I don't know. And you get one word answers. But the yeah. crazy the crazy thing is, is by the end of the night, she's getting used to it. She opens up. I couldn't get her to stop talking. Right. You know? Right. And uh, like to the point where we're driving home and it's like 10 o'clock at night. And I'm like, can you just be silent for a minute? You know? <laughs> and, I, yeah. My daughter will say that to me. Dad, can you not talk? Or she's really good. You know, she's seven, she'll be eight next month. She's really good about, uh, Daddy, I need you. Um, and just when she needs me to do something, she'll say that. And then she's also good about saying, Daddy, I need privacy. (laughs) (laughs) Which I like, because then I put out my best effort. And what she wants is privacy, so I could go read or whatever. But I played the game with her. And, uh, uh, you know, she's, it seems a little more complicated than her brother. Uh, people said to me, Hey, um, you know, wait till they're seven, wait till they're teenagers. And, and, uh, and, you know, and I was like, I don't know where I'll be with their teenagers. You know, I'm old. Um, they said, well, and, well, the, the worst part is teenagers will hate you, your own teenagers. And I, <laughs> I'll be so old. I won't notice it. Like I, 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 I'll miss that part. So, you know, it's a, you take it a day at a time, like everything else. And, uh, but you got to pay attention because you assume things. And, uh, and, and, and kids are not a monolith. And these two kids of mine have different personalities. They like different things. They communicate different. Communicate different. If my daughter says, Daddy, I want to play a new game with you, she's really thought that game out. It might be some improvisational game that we're going to play with a, a, a version of Freeze, but then all this other stuff. Like, she's thought it out. She, she came in the other day and said, would you come into my room I want to play a game, but I came in there and her dolls were lined up and she was the teacher and she had the, the board and what they were studying. I was the parent volunteer, which I just done that day at her school. So she saw that she decided that she, she really liked her teacher. She lined the different kids up and told me their names. And I remembered some of them and one was misbehaving. And uh, in the middle of me reading a book to them, she said, Keep reading. I took him to the hall to talk to him. Like, like she, you know, the stuff that meticulous stuff that she, uh, you know, notices or, you know, uh, so it's really fun. It's not like, oh, uh, with my son, he's like, we watch me play video games. I go, oh, yeah. okay, oh. I'll, I'll, that's how I, I will do it sometimes. But he also does the thing. You know, he has his video monitor here. You know, he's tan and, and he's very good at Fortnite. Him and his mm. buddies, they all are on there. And they and they're shit talking each other too. And I hear that, and I go in there and go, guys, if you talk like that outside of your house, 
at school, in public, you'll have no friends. Yeah. <laughs> Take that down a little bit. And then he'll do a thing when I walk in. He goes, no, no, I'm all, I'm all with friends. Don't say yeah. anything. And then I'll come in the kitchen later and go, would you come in here and say hello to my friends? You know, that, that, yeah. that you want it both ways, but you're Tom Arnold. And now I'd like you to, to do your work. So I, I find all that very amusing. That's it's so it's so funny because uh, your son's the ten year old, yeah, yeah. So my son's ten, same deal. He plays Fortnite, Apex Legends, all these games, and he's he is talking so much trash to people he doesn't even know. You know yeah. what I mean? And <laughs> I'm like, you talk to somebody like that in person, you're going to get punched in the mouth. Kid. Yeah. You know? Well, <laughs> and it, it's happened. You know, my son is very big too. Mm-hmm. He is a head taller. I'm trying to get his football picture to show you. It's crazy how much bigger he is. And fortunately, he did play football this year. But you know, he he uh, uh, he said, I, he said, I want to play quarterback this year. And I go, buddy, buddy, you're 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 not built like a quarterback anymore. And your best friend is quarterback, and he's amazing. I said, yeah, you know, you gotta. I think you should consider doing whatever the coach asks you to do. And it's funny because we, his mom who drops the ball, had missed a tryout, and mm-hmm. so. I got him and I said, I'm going to go to practice with him and see what happens. And the coach uh, saw me and Jack's walking up and, and looked at Jack's and said, uh, he's on the team. Anyway, Jack, number 33. Can you see this? Oh, yeah. I don't know. Oh, they bounced around there. Let me do this right. Anyway, you, you see, if you saw this guy, you'd go, yeah, that kid's going to be offensive line. That's There's no doubt about it. But uh, he's had fun. He's taken to it. And, and, and uh, you know, his little buddy is a very good quarterback, the coach's son, of course, because he spent a lot of time with him. But, you know, it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. It, it, as long as they, they enjoy it. And he, okay. There oh, he is. geez. Is he the one on the very end? There, yeah. He is a, oh. a lie. So he's he got it. best lineman, best uh, blocker. He wear, you know, he wears shoes that are almost as big as mine. I think he wears size twelve beds. Uh, you know, he's a big uh, fourth grader. <laughs> yeah, well, I'll tell you. So I, I sympathize with your son because I, you can't see it on the video, but I'm six seven, two eighty five, right? Yeah, so, oh yeah, yeah. yeah. It's up. You stand out, man. Yeah. Out. And uh, my daughter is the tallest person in her class, and it's not quite as fun. Yeah, it's not quite as fun. I could tell by. You know, she stands out too, and I can tell. You know, yeah my my daughter's the same way. She's blonde hair, blue eye. She's real skinny, but she's tall. And I'm yeah. like, oh man, you know, she's 15, so I'm like, this is going to be a problem for me, you know, as a father. And so, uh, but no, he's she's a good kid, so I'm yeah. not, you know, I'm not worried yeah. about it. My so, little, I don't know if you know my history, but my I'm not the only famous Arnold. Uh, my sister, there's a documentary series about her called The Queen of Meth. I've heard, yeah. Drug dealer in America. And uh, uh, she did great, which we lived with our dad. I'm a single dad. My dad was a single dad. And when she was 14, she said, I want, I don't want any rules, which is what I did too. Mm-hmm. And I, said, I, want to, I want to drink, use drugs, grow my hair. And I know my mom will she'll, we'll be able to. She'll give them to us. And that when you're 14, 15, you think that's a good idea. So, but my sister moved in third. She was 14. And almost immediately, my mom made her marry a dude that was 22, the pedophile. Uh, um, you know, she said, I, "I'm gonna you you break up with him, or 
uh, I'll be have arrested, or you marry him. And when you're 14, you're like, oh, I'm going to marry him. So my mom drove them to Missouri. They got married, and then her life went off the rails because up to that point, she was a very good kid. I'm not comparing this to your daughter, by the way. Yeah, yeah. yeah. you are scaring me. <laughs> well, it, it is scary, the whole thing. But, you know, uh, she went off a little bit, made a good business uh, for herself. <laughs> <The drug. Yeah. laughs> People are like, were you embarrassed that your little sister was a drug dealer? And I say, not when I was doing drugs, I wasn't embarrassed. Yeah, yeah. yeah that's probably, probably convenient. Yeah, very convenient for all of us. So, you know, um, I think we're, you know, we, you and I are certainly smarter than than my uh, mother. Uh, her, you know, she's a bad, you know, she's an alcoholic too. Alcoholics are, are notorious, notoriously sloppy parents. Mm -hmm. They do sloppy things. They'll put a kid with a babysitter that's, that's you know, not appropriate, you know. They do a lot of those things, and then as a kid, you grow up and you have to deal with that. You, you have to deal with it, but um, and it is important for us to deal with our bullshit from our childhood because we don't want to pass it on. I see some adults that are still in the childhood, their childhood, and they've got kids, and it's a weird thing because the kids now the kids get to. It's weird when your parent is is a kid too, and and everybody goes through stuff. But my, I recommend dealing with all your childhood stuff and then having kids yeah well it's it's interesting that you bring that up because you know you and i are very similar in, in that you know my father uh you know he he had some drug issues pretty much all the way through my high school he, he got he's sober now he's a great guy 25 well, years sober over 25 years that's very I, nothing and i tell guys old guys I, i've never heard anybody prouder than a child who's father or mother got sober for long periods of time you know i i'm sure that a lot of shit went down there's a lot of wreckage before that but the uh, the pride that i hear from people like you about yeah my father did this thing and because uh, a lot don't my mom certainly didn't mm -hmm. uh so it's a big deal and uh and congratulations to both of you guys yeah well and i want to ask you so having you know now that you're a father and you, you participate, you know, you, you're sober now, you went through drugs and you had yeah. a mother who went through that. How does that inform the way that you parent your children? Well, you know, you can't, uh, again, totally assume that they're going to be like you. Like I, I was, you know, uh, on the one hand, I, every dream I ever had has come true. You know, I had big dreams, uh, you know, I worked on the kill floor of a beat packing plant for three years out of high school because I knew if I saved enough money, I could go to the University of Iowa where they had a stage. I could become a famous comedian. Like, uh, that's a pretty crazy dream. And uh, uh, whatever, there were several things. We, we mentioned nine months the movie. I, I remember uh, chiseling heads, and uh, which is one of the jobs that the heads go by. It's pretty boring. You have, you have to make your own fun. And, and Morgan Mindy was on TV back then. I lived in Tubble, Iowa. But more convictions on TV. And I remember daydreaming that Rob Williams and I were best friends. Mm. <laughs> and I got, I, I got home that night and I looked in the mirror and said, okay, that is so disappointing. I, I'm not going to have that daydream again because I will never meet Robin Williams. I got to have more realistic. And, and then 10 years later, I'm in his house, Robin Williams, up in San Francisco, the night before we start the movie, nine months. And uh, 
every Hugh Grant's there, Julianne Borges, Jody Cusack, Jeff Goldblum. And at the end of the dinner, it's just Robin Williams. I sit there and I, and I said, uh, Robin, I have been here before. And he's like, uh, in my house? I go, no, this, me, you, best mm -hmm. friend. And he's like, we're not best friends. I go, I know, but it's really close to that dream I had. And so, you know, I, when people say, there's a lot of people out here. My kids go to school, Brentwood. They're like, you know, see it, dream it, be it, whatever. And a lot of times I think, well, that's just, that's too high of a goal. That's uh, but, but then again, I, I, my dreams, have, maybe I should have had bigger dreams, but they literally all came true. So it's hard to tell the kids that they can't do whatever they plan on doing. And I, and I will say this about show business. My dad is a great guy. And, you know, when he was 22, I was four. My sister was three. My brother was one. That's and You know, I always considered him a boring dad because he worked at the factory. They came home and he did. Sometimes he didn't have enough time to play with us. And I'd say, you're boring. And, and then but when you have your first child, you you know, you go, oh, boy, that guy was a that guy was amazing. <laughs> he was young. Yeah. And uh, but well, I remember there were Bob Hope specials. on. Bob Hope was a comedian. That would go around and do these specials in the sixties uh, and seventies, and he'd go to Vietnam or Korea and entertain the troops or do these other things. He sort of he had beautiful women on that would he'd make his little jokes that were my dad's uh, style of jokes, you know. And, and I remember being upstairs and hearing my dad laugh, and I never heard him laugh like that about anything. And I, I remember in my head I went, "Whatever that Bob Hope does, I'm going to do that." And so one of the first things I did. In 1988, when I moved out here to write the Roseanne shows, was a Bob Hope special. And uh, we were dressed in leotards or something. He was Robin Hood. I was whatever. And uh, he called my dad, and uh, and he uh, sent, signed all these books for my dad. Just a real mess, you know. And so my dad, this the magic of whatever it is we do, on the same TV in the same living room where he used to watch Bob Hope, when I was young, now he watched his son and Bob Hope together. So that that kind of, you know, uh, that's the kind of magic that uh, maybe my business provides rarely, but it is real. It is real. Well, well, and that's the thing I wanted to ask you. You know, a lot of because I have kids and my son's a guitar player. He's a brilliant singer. He's did been he's an international honor choirs. I mean, he's really good and. uh what I'm, I'm always curious when people have achieved their dreams and been successful, what do you think it is about you? What do you have that you think made you successful? Well, you have to be stupid. Number one, you have to <laughs> enjoy the bullshit. You got to enjoy the failure. You got to enjoy the, you know, uh, people saying, okay, you didn't get this job. There's somebody better. You just got to go, well, uh, you you got to enjoy every bit about it, not just getting a job or being successful or whatever. You got to enjoy the minutia of auditioning, getting rejected, whatever. Uh, you sleeping on people's couches. When I first left Iowa in '83, I moved to Minneapolis for five years because they had comedy clubs. That was my thing. I get on uh, TV as a comedian once. Everyone in my hometown will like me, which turns out not to be close to be true. But <laughs> I wouldn't have done anything. We worked for free or $10 a night yet it had I had other jobs because I loved it I loved it I I watched some of the stuff I did and it's cringeworthy now but I loved it I was so deep I spent five years doing that wherever I could do it 
And uh, again, it would be hard to do it that way now, but you just got to love it. You got to, you don't have to explain like your son's a guitar player. I get that. I would have loved to be a guitar player. I cut the end of my finger off. My dad, uh, uh, I became a drummer. My dad had got a new skill saw downstairs. He said to me and my four younger brothers, stay the F away from my skill saw. Don't touch my skill saw. And he went, he got a car, drove off, and I started this skill saw, took a board, first board through, and cut the end of this finger off. Oh, and so, man. And, and so I can't, t- I, you know, up to that point, I was kind of playing guitar. So dad, he came home, and we were having dinner, and I'd wrapped a, a towel. I didn't want to tell him. It was a big, you know, I cloth around it, and dad's eating dinner. He's like, Tommy, show me your hand. And I go, he goes, the other hand. And I <laughs> opened it up, and it was... There was a clot, and he goes, oh, were you in my paint? Because it was all red for blood. And then I'm like, okay, Hail Mary. I started crying. And he looked at it. You can see the bone. He goes, why wouldn't you tell me so I could take you to the hospital? I was more concerned with disappointing him Mm. going to the hospital. Uh, But but it also taught me that boys will. I don't have guns. Mm. I don't have guns because I have a 10-year-old boy. When I was a 10-year-old boy, my dad stay say, stay the half away from my gun. He had some Korean War rifle, and the gun was over here locked up, and the cartridge over here. And uh, and as soon as he got out the door to work, me and my brothers tried to break in every day to get that gun. I finally got it one day and loaded it up, went out in the front street, front of our house, and just started firing it. And uh, I couldn't control myself. And so I see his car swerving down the street, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to get my butt kicked here in a second. But I don't... Uh, you know, oh, I don't need to, you know, I if you can't kill somebody with a stick. You're no man. So, <laughs> I just don't, you know, you, you, you. my son uh, knows where, you know, he knows everything in his house. I'll say, my dad used to say, I say, can I have a little uh, uh, money, dad? And he pulls pockets out. Yeah, I got no money. But he really didn't. And so I do that with my son. You know, you try. I, I'm sorry, son. I got no money. He goes, actually, dad, you do. There's a pair of pants hanging in your bedroom on the wall with $48 in the pocket. Like, you know, <laughs> you know I had, and at first I think, well, that's bad that he's, but now it's good because if I lose stuff, I go, Hey, where is, uh, and we also interesting, we have 21 cameras inside outside our house here. We have wow. sweet kids tonight and people are like, are those for the LA crime? And I'm like, no, no, they're for one person, you know, they're for the mother. Who, who would break into the house, call the police, say something happened, you're always in front of the kids, and the cops come, and I go, well, what did she say happened? Well, let's watch the tape. And then they fall. I mean, it saved my, you know, but now also when we lose stuff, dad loses stuff. I was in this room, and I went over here, and we'll, we'll CSI it down. You know, my assistant freaking <laughs> about cutting together tape for court, of course, but also just to put, you know, our life, figure out what's what, and who started the fight? So was what daughter says he started. He, I go, let's, okay, let's do people's court. Let's go watch it. We'll all watch it together. We'll see what really happened. And uh, it's also a good parent tool because you forget how big you are and how mm-hmm. loud you can be. And when mm-hmm. you, when, when I've gotten mad before looking down at the, my son, especially, I saw that and it, it could be scary. And yeah. so, I say I don't want to do that. Even though, uh, yeah, I, that for a person is he's big, he's huge, but but I'm bit bigger, and uh, I don't want to come off that way. You know, so I just try to be a better parent. Anyway, yeah. 
Well, that's interesting. You, you know, there's so much you just brought up that just resonates with me. One of the things, you know, you talk about how big you are. I mean, I just had a conversation with my second daughter, you know, and it's really funny. <clears throat> it's hard when you have boys and girls because my son, like you mentioned how everybody, all of your kids are different. My oldest son, I have to really pound it into him to get him to understand. You know what I mean? Like I really have to go hard. Yeah. And it's funny because for the last couple of years, I've gone hard and it's just in one ear out the other. And he's finally starting to get it. My yeah. youngest daughter, if I look at her wrong, she crumbles. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And, and, you know, being six foot seven, you know, I'm an, I'm an attorney, I'm a litigator, I'm a trial attorney. So, you know, I got to go hard on a lot of people. Yeah. You know? okay. And so uh, she one time said to me, she's like, I don't think you understand how intense you look. Like, you know, even if you're not yelling, and so I have, I've had to adjust uh, with her because she's just so much more sensitive. But it's hard because I, I tell her because she's 12 and I go, listen, you're, but your brother, like I've done this to him and now he gets it. You know, now he gets it. I'm like, and, I'm, and I'm like, sure, yeah. maybe, he's, maybe he's a little traumatized. Maybe he's yeah. a little dead inside. And maybe he's never going to feel like he's good enough. But he's going to be successful. Yeah. Well, um, my son would do a thing. And. You know, I get cut the kids a lot of slack because of stuff they've seen. And, you know, uh, sir, only only will serve me when the kids are here. And I've literally never taken her to court, never called the cops. The next time we'd go in, because it's been seven years, there's something called legal abuse. And I've loaded for fair with that because that's all it's been. Dragging me in, you spend all your money, you drag the kids in. It's traumatizing for them. But so I gave them a little bit of slack. And, and I remember my son would sit down in the hall. And yell and just right now you couldn't get by him he would you know take over the house and then one day i said you can do that you can do the yelling but you're going to do it in your room because we have a life here your sister and i and fred we are living life you can choose to do that and i picked him up i i think i can still pick him up i don't know too funny uh but i picked him up and carried him in there and then locked the door and then, so he can have his time, um, but he just couldn't ruin it for the rest. And he quit doing that pretty quickly because mm-hmm. he sometimes they do stuff because they want you to to correct them or to show them what's right. Mm-hmm. And uh, if they can get away with, you know, it's just nature, nature. They'll keep trying to get away with, but they want to, you know, know what the boundaries are. Where is the, the boundary? Where is the, the, the guardrail? That's us. Here it is. My guardrail's uh, thicker, longer, perhaps than some parents, but we, there is a guardrail, and yeah. it's scary if they don't have that. Yeah, I agree. You know, and I wanted to ask you too. You know, I know that you, um, you know, a little while back, you had a stroke, which, which also resulted in you kind of getting your health in order. Um, well, yeah, it should have been the other way around, of course. But uh, hold on, let me see here. I got to. Uh, uh, I can we pick this up later? Can we pretend to just come back to this? Yeah, because I yeah, have. A, all right, we had to take a little break, uh, Mr. Arnold, busy man, and uh, had a lot of stuff to do, so we're back and glad we're able to to reconnect for this. Um, so, I don't, what, what? I went to the hospital. That's right. Went out to go <laughs> to check up on my. I had a, a, a big uh, skin cancer thing removed. You know, you get it when you grow up on a farm without, and I've said this before, without sunscreen. But when you get older, you'll have to, have to get stuff cut out. It's not like threatening, but it's a pain in the butt. 
And so they did something yesterday, and then it swelled up huge, and then I had to run down there real quick. They can open it up, and, uh, uh, and then I have to go back to the, tomorrow morning, then they'll sew it. Mm-hmm. And that's where we are. That's where you, you grow up in Iowa. That's kind of stuff that happens to you there. Yeah, uh, yeah. Well, that and that's interesting. You know, growing up in Iowa, I know that you're you're pretty you're pretty politically informed. I know, uh, you, you know, you're a big anti-Trump guy, uh, which which I am too. Which is interesting. Yeah. Uh, I well, never voted. I mean, I consider. Oh, go ahead. It's not anti-Trump. It's a yeah. Huh? He's a terrible, terrible person. The <laughs> years, and he's the worst person in the country to be president. I mean, he's the just the you know. I never was that. I was always a Democrat or whatever. But with Trump, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, I mean, that's how do you feel? What you're how do you? uh, Well, this is interesting because I'm I'm a conservative who's never voted for. And Mm -hmm. and and the thing is, is that what I don't understand, you know, I I told you off air and I think I may be on air. My listeners know I'm a member of the church, a member of the Mormon church. Oh, yeah. And people in Utah love him. Yeah. And. Isn't it weird? I mean, because you know, let me just say this. You know, one of the things I found really interesting. I I was younger when Bill Clinton was going through all his Monica Lewinsky stuff, but I remember members of my church saying, "Well, you know, uh, it's about morality. You know, it's about morality." And so, so now I look around. I'm like that guy. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, and so, it makes you wonder what has happened. You know, Lindsey Graham was one of those people that. With with uh, uh, Clinton's like we need to impeach him is, you know we can't have that. It's bad for the country to have somebody that doesn't have morals and, and whatever. And then to see that the swing now now Mitt Romney has never he's never given up his beliefs. Like he mm-hmm. has stood up there the only guy and said this is what I believe. And you want me to put my hand to God and uh, I believe he should be impeached. You know he's he's done that now. But but a lot of people, I think that, uh, and it's, uh, you know, I'm Jewish. I think uh, I'm a Reformed Jew. I'm not a, you know, Orthodox or hardcore. I think if people complain about kids, young people being away from the church. And I think this is a great example of why. Because who, you know, what what does the church mean? What does Jesus mean? I love Jesus, great Jew. But the way the way I understand it, it, it is, he did a lot of great things. Like Jesus would not have been hanging with Donald Trump. He's sort of the money changer guy, and Jesus looked out for everybody. Yeah. So to to put that with your politics, uh, that oh yeah, we're not gonna we don't care about uh, immigrants, or we don't care, you know. Uh, so it is hard. I do have a lot of friends that are genuine. Arnold Schwarzenegger is a is a genuine conservative Republican. And because of Trump, I've gotten to know a lot of genuine conservative Republicans and uh, who are just don't, who are willing to say they, that they don't, that Trump is not okay. And when I grew up in Iowa, we had, uh, my dad was a Republican, uh, you know, uh, a lot of Republicans in my family who had a couple great Republican uh, governors. And when we went to school, in high school, we had civics class and we'd go in and, they, and the debate coach would be like, okay, you're the Democrats, you're the Republicans, let's debate this bill. And then we went up to the university or to the Iowa State Capitol and we, we you know, did it. 
in mm -hmm. front of everybody. We showed how to get a bill. You compromise, you do this and that. And, uh, and, but that's not even the, these, the, the Trump things, he doesn't even care about. It's definitely not about getting things done. It's about uh, something else. And I assume it's going to be that all those guys are going to go off a cliff with Trump. Uh, uh, because, you know, it's really, I mean, he's exactly who he's always been. He's always a terrible person. And, and it, it was kind of funny when he was the, the business guy or the whatever the TV sheet guy. But these politicians, some of them have le had legitimate careers and the, they're Christian and there were this and that. And all of a sudden they go off. Uh, you know, there's no, I don't know what's, what it is, but it's funny. I've heard somebody talking about uh, the Antichrist. Now, the Antichrist is a, is a guy that comes in and solves the Middle East problem. Right. <laughs> so, and uh, the fact that somebody wouldn't go, well, what if Trump is the Antichrist? Like, he seems, he, I don't know what Antichrist guys is exactly, and I don't believe in the, the uh, whatever, the rapture. Because uh -huh. that doesn't turn out good for Jews. I know they're right now, they're like, who support Israel? But really, you uh so, yeah, I mean, that's your beliefs, and I'm sure that you, you can speak on this. Uh, you know, your beliefs, that you believe in, uh, uh, in God, a higher power, you know. I do, too. I didn't create this all this stuff, you know. Mm -hmm. I didn't, uh, and I see, you, you look in your kid's eyes, that's so not blood from the thing. You look in kid's eyes, your kid's eyes, you go, oh, yeah, there is something. There's something <laughs> out there. I see it. It's right. So, you know, uh, I don't. You explain to me how these. Tell me how formerly uh, conservative Republican Christians, how do they support Donald Trump? You know, here's what I hear the most, and I've actually had one on my podcast. Just a guy who's a, a Trump supporter who actually no longer supports Trump because of January 6th, which I respect. Well, that's a good reason. There you go. Yeah, that's a good reason. Yeah, yeah, but. But what I typically hear from them is, well, we don't like Donald Trump the man. We like his policies and policy. And and, and me, I go, okay, listen, I, I get, I, I understand where you're coming from, but hard for me to believe when 25, 30 years ago, you're impeaching Bill Clinton, the person. And, and on top of that also, uh, I just kind of go, well, wait a minute, really? Because there's a, there's a, there is a religious right to the Republican Party, which are all about moral stuff, right? So if that's the, and they and they go gaga for Trump, yeah. And and so uh, I don't think that carries a lot of water. And on top of that, me personally, I look. I'll, I'll say like there was a couple of things that Donald Trump has done that I do I I do agree with some of his ideas on trade, some stuff he did with China. I was like, yeah, you know, I think that makes sense. I don't think he's a strong conservative. I mean, all those Trump tax cuts without spending cuts doesn't make any sense. It just ballooned the debt more. Um, but I'm more interested. I have a government degree from Sac State, and I'm a lawyer, so I'm more interested in the in the kind of the process of elections and things. And it's just so interesting to me that it's gonna. It looks like it's going to be Trump Biden again, which which I find so interesting because the other the other side of that is is I mean, um, Kamala Harris, who I've met, you know, um, I, I find it very interesting that she even brought up that Joe Biden, a lot of these policies that have turned out to be pretty racist, he kind of assisted in. Mm -hmm. 
So I don't know how I, I don't understand how Republicans square. You insisted in those. What the, what's that? Who insisted in the racist uh, policy? Joe Biden. Are you talking about uh, 30 years ago with the uh, the uh, uh, 40 years ago? And then Clinton did this too about the uh, where they put labels on these young people. I, it wasn't monsters, but it was something. It was a label. It was a negative stereotype. They actually passed legislation, you know, that uh, – uh, you know, if you did these certain things, which is all people of color, uh, you'd never get out of prison. I mean, yeah, yeah, and and on top of that, also there were, you know, I I know there was sometimes where, uh, you know, Joe Biden, for purposes I'm sure of politically, cozied up to some of the you know Southern Dixiecrats and things like that who who yeah, and the same with uh, you know Hillary Clinton and, and that that's kind of that's I I don't know if the the Southern Dixiecrat actually hasn't been around for a long time. 60 oh, yeah. Sure. Years, right? sure. And uh, I know he's old, but I think that Joe Biden has made mistakes in his 50-year career. He said some dumb stuff. He's made mistakes. But, um, you know, you, you can't, in my opinion, you can't go, oh, remember that one time in 1971 when he did this or said this or was, you know, uh, uh, you have to, you know, you have to you go, oh, that's the same as Trump, then, which is a false equivalence. You know, uh, uh, you know, if you're looking for one thing and everybody's got something ridiculous they've done and now society has grown so we can look at that stuff and go, okay. But I think a lot of people on the right spend a lot of time trying to make Joe Biden as bad as Donald Trump. Because hmm. then they go... But he's not. He's just not as a human being. You know, he's a man that lost his wife and child and car wreck. You know, you, how do you recover from that? How do you recover yeah. from that? You know, it's like they want to judge him, uh, 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 his religion, like they did Obama. You know, mm-hmm. Obama was a, was a Christian. I mean, how do you – I'm Jewish. If I said another person wasn't Jewish, they said they were Jewish or whatever, that's a sin. That's one of our 600 – Somebody said, you know, and I also think as a human being to judge other people's whatever, you know, I'm more curious, you know, what you believe, but how that works. And, you know, uh, but to me to judge and say, yeah, we're the good Jews. You're the, you're the democratic. uh, But so it's, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing to play into. I think Joe Biden says ridiculous stuff. And I, know that he it's all, all old age i have to tell you he's he's always had gaps here and there but consistently he has he has find, found ways to reach across the aisle as they say and uh you know his best buddies were uh, old school republicans now they they've said said he's terrible and uh you know uh, trump is great but i think that you know do I wish he was younger? I don't like it when he rides a bike. I get pissed off. It makes me nervous. Or why is he even walking? Why is he not in a chair? And uh, he, but he did have to pick. I picking Kamala Harris. There was a, uh, you know, she's a woman. She's a black woman. He had to do it. He made that that promise. And those two people, uh, Kamala and Joe Biden, were the only two people who could have beaten Donald Trump. So. When you're me, you look at that like, okay, they saved the world. 
they, they, whatever that combination was, they saved the world. So I always have gratitude about that. Um, you know, it, it, I, I, she is an easy target. I drive by her house every day on the way to kids' school. She's, you know, people forget what what kind of a senator she was, and she's a prosecutor. In fact, they say she was the one throwing all the uh, the black guys in jail, and mm. why? Which is which is true. That's how they used to, you know. And uh, but but to say, you know, they're, they're thinking she's an idiot. She has a low IQ. That's just not true. That the evidence, you know. Yeah. You know, well, I'll tell you what. I've I've been I got I got I went through law school. You you can't have a low IQ and get through no. that. I mean, it's tough. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But then you see people like Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz, who went to Ivy League college and law school, and they pretend uh, that they're not because they're like, I don't want to seem too smart. Ted Cruz tries to seem smart, but Josh <laughs> Hawley's like, I want you know, I'm going to play for this audience where I don't think they're smart enough to handle me being smart mm-hmm. and that's a, that's a bad uh you know that's a you know it, 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 you know jimmy carter uh rosa carter died yesterday i believe sure uh, you know i met her in the end of the 70s and she came to my community college in iowa that big mm-hmm. deal and she was a person that uh you know i've interviewed her husband you know the things i liked about him number one he really was a baseball fan. He was, I believe, it was the Braves, and he mm-hmm. told me it affected his quality of life. Like, <laughs> not the big game. He was not quite himself in the White House, which I respect because you know it, it, it's always good to believe it's something greater than yourself. Maybe it's sports teams, maybe it's music, but to go, hey, I'm not the boy. I got, I admire this sort of thing. But his uh, one of her great quotes is that. Uh, you know, you you're there representing people, uh, uh, but you and you give them what they want. But you also uh, um, give them. Uh, I forget her; she's more eloquent. But basically, you also have to stand up and give them what they uh, think they don't want if it's better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you don't see that with. I mean, people are they just want to get. It's all about getting votes or getting on TV. And, you know, Trump has brought out, you know, Jason Chavins, you know, he was a congressman from, from a Mormon from uh, mm-hmm. Utah. And when the tape, the Access Hollywood tape first came out, he was, said publicly, I cannot support Donald Trump. I have a 15 year old daughter. How can I look her in the eye? Well, he changed his tune. And just yeah. like the current Speaker of the House, Mike Johnson, in 2015, he made a public statement. Listen, I, I can't look my 15-year-old son in the eye and support Donald Trump. I just can't do that. Well, you know, when you put your kids in it, when you're like, you know, I mean, and then you go back on it, you know, his policies weren't that good. They do it from your soul, you know. And the last thing is that the birther stuff, that's 2011. That's when I quit talking to Donald Trump. And he'd been asking me to do the show. And I saw him do the birther stuff, and uh, I was, it was, uh, uh, and people let him get away with it, saying, hey, show me your birth certificate, first black president. If the first Mormon president, if all of a sudden some other guy's like, hey, show me your birth certificate, you guys, everybody would get together, and they'd never even be on TV again. Right. That is, oh, and then the John McCain stuff, which is, 
insane. You was such a hero. He lived Mm -hmm. in a five foot box for, or a four foot box for five and a half years. You know, he wouldn't come home until uh, uh, the other guys got to come home. And then he was able to criticize him for being, I mean, it did take your breath away. And then you're like, okay, that's going to be it because the Republican Party will go, okay, we're not that. There's something you, and, and that's, that's it. But once they overlook that, they're like, we might as well overlook everything. You yeah. know, that's shocking. We forgive. We're Christians. No, it's not perfect. But, uh, okay, none of us are perfect. But that, but that man shouldn't be the president. <laughs> you know, right. you, can be yeah. uh, you can forgive people. First of all, they got to ask to be forgiven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the, where I stand. You got to make amends as best you can, ask to be forgiven, and then you see what happens down the line. But you can't do it because I want to keep this job and stuff. I know, you know, I've done many things where, where especially before I got sober, where and it was like, okay, now I need to turn the corner on this, not to be get myself better because I deserve it, but to show other people, oh, look at me, I'm sober now, and I that I can have my job back or my relationship back, and it's just you know. It's bullshit. It's also bad for, for it was bad for me because until I decided I'm going to get sober for this guy, he deserves it. It takes a lot of convincing. Then, then it it's not going to work if you're doing it for other people. So mm-hmm. here we are. Yeah. You you tell me what what your thoughts are, buddy. Well, I just think you know, I don't know what's going on with with the Republican Party because everything you're saying is is true. I mean. I do believe that, <laughs> I mean, Donald Trump one time said I could go out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I'll go up in the polls. And he's right. Yeah. I mean, it, it's really shocking the things that he will say. And almost people are happy for it. It's almost it's almost like we've become an Internet troll society and we just want the person who can give the biggest burn and doesn't care about the other person. You know, call in Rosie, whatever. I, you know, you may not like Rosie O'Donnell. Call I like her, her. I like her yeah. a lot. She's adopted kids. She's got a son in the military. She's she's a very good woman, very, you know, very funny comedian too. Put up with all that stuff from him. And you yeah. know what's weird? I'm gonna tell you when when I found out Roseanne Barr, my ex-wife, was a Trump supporter. Uh, I I said, uh, you know, through a message, I said, "How wh- look what he did to Rosie O'Donnell. You guys were friends." And she goes, "I I support him because he never called me a big fat pig." Like that is, you know, that's like, but it's like, it, you know, when people talk about cults, um, because you have to have that, you can't have any uh, critical thinking. You know, I watch a lot of documentaries about cults. I'm watching one now called Mother Love or what. I mean, it's just. Oh, I started watching that. It's nuts. Yeah. 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 I mean, it's uh, they also did a good job with, with the fourth God, man, man, God, she's, she's. God woman or woman God. Anyway, that guy is, you got to stay out because this guy is such a scammer criminal and he's so, he's so dumb. He, and it, the way he just puts it out there and, you know, that, and you watch some of the other people, uh, they're beautiful uh, young women. It seemed like they had kind of things going and they, you know, and I, I get it. Sometimes you get life uh, trauma, whatever. You know, you're just looking for something. You're vulnerable. You're, you know, um, 
That's and I think that's what these evangelicals uh, said have a tr with Trump because Trump liked them. First of all, he never liked evangelicals. Michael Cohen, you know, I have it on tape. He he said when they came to the uh, Trump Tower to think about supporting him, they wanted to hug him, and he and he told Michael Cohen, "Keep these weirdos away from me. I don't want to." Mess <laughs> I don't want. But then he realized, oh, there's a lot of these guys are huge scammers. It's all about the money to them too. They'll You'll have good luck in the stock market if you send me, you'll have, and it's in the history of this country, it's gone on, you know, and so he's like, I like that. I like that. I'm going to figure out a way, and, and he's done it. He's monetized, you know, his resentments, and, you know, he's uh, got people feeling sorry for him, which is weird, and, mm -hmm. and he'll say and do, that's where those, uh, you know, the people that go to his rallies, you know, because I also thought, they're going to get bored. Because he's not, he just goes to the greatest hits and he, he's not even putting himself in there. He doesn't uh, really know where he is. He would never, I, again, I've known him 40 years, he would not have anything to do with those people, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, but again, there's a generation, every generation has a, there's a group of white people and somebody steps up that's, uh, and, that they consider better than them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that someone that believes the worst white person is better than the best black guy, right? And they go, they hear this guy, Donald Trump. He speaks like us. He says what we really want to say, and they get behind him 100%. It's happened the whole history of the country. And what happens is that person at the top goes off a cliff. And then all the supporters, they don't get, they never got more money. They never got health care. They never... And 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 what happens is that generation of white people just does not advance. They felt for it. They sit there. Whereas people of color, women, every generation they advance a little bit. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. This they I mean it used to be Southern Democrats, you know, that did it, and uh, and then the parties flipped around. But uh, they, it's just a they're the ones that get screwed the most. Yeah. You know? Well, and that's, I think, I think that's what he did. He, he, he tapped in. I wanted to ask you because you're from Iowa and Iowa is a big Trump supporting. I mean, they, I think they switched from Obama to, yeah. to Trump pretty handedly. Yeah. I and have that uh, supports him in Iowa. What's that? I have family, brothers and sisters that support him. Still. Okay. Yeah. I, I'm sure, I'm sure that Thanksgiving with them would be uh, great between you guys. Well, <laughs> we did have a, my stepmother's funeral. Last uh, in, in September, and that was sort of like that. And, and, yeah. uh, but I'm the oldest of seven. I'm the toughest. So, you know, uh, you, you can only convince me. And I think people and family like to needle each other. So, you know, they don't explain why they like Trump, but they might wear a hat over because they know it'll piss me off. And, you know, mm -hmm. it's just like sports fans. You're either an Iowa State fan or you're an Iowa fan. Mm -hmm. Now, you don't root against Iowa State. Except when they're playing Iowa, because that's like family. But you know, when people have to get motivated to get behind something. Yeah, and politics right now is 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 that thing. It's not I about. Think, I, I actually going. think I th I actually think, and I think a lot of people would agree with this that as the uh, as people leave religion, uh, politics and uh, has kind of become the new religion. You know. Mm -hmm. um they they follow it just like they do their religion you mm -hmm. know um 
So that's yeah, that's scary. But I also wanted to ask you mentioned Roseanne and and texting her. Are you I guys friendly? You're in Sacramento, right? Yeah, yeah. Spent a lot of time up there with Arnold as governor. Had fun. <laughs> you know, he had a hotel, the whole floor of the hotel, because he was the state of the governor's mansion. He has a private place, so you fly back and forth. And he had a, the whole floor of I don't know if it was a Hyatt or what the. But his gym, his workout thing was the whole floor of this hotel. And it was also great fun having a friend, you know, something he dreamed about. Mm-hmm. And and he really did. He really also, when he became governor, I said, there's one guy you got to meet. And I said, this guy, he's got a bad mouth. He's the, it's the main Democratic guy. and uh, But he, you got to figure out a way. Uh, John Burton is the name. Mm-hmm. He looked John Burton a long time. My, my third ex-wife was a dad was a, in the California house, and, uh, and my my ex-wife's a political uh, lobbyist or whatever you call it. But I got to know John Burton, and he's just amazing. And he's the opposite. He's the he's very liberal. And you know Arnold comes from the other place, but they he, Arnold's heart. They became friends, like mm-hmm. they would swear at each other, but they would also get stuff done. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, I think that that's a, a different time now because, you know, behind, and I have to say, behind closed doors, even the people in Congress, like Eric Swalwell told me, Matt Gates, they used to hang out, man, when he first came. He was a pretty cool guy, he said. And then, you know, but on camera, he's got to be a weirdo or he's got to do this or he's got to do that. And, and uh, you know, that's always been that way out there because they're in a small world. Mm-hmm. Uh, but now it's it's changed, and some of the other senators and uh, and Congress people I know say it is, you know, and, and Ted Kennedy would not be best friends with whoever he was best friends with. Sure, Man. I mean, yeah. So, so you know, so go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to ask you. You brought up Roseanne and texting her about the Trump stuff. I mean, were you guys? You know, I know that your divorce seemed pretty. It was pretty out there, and it seemed pretty, you know, out in the public, and it seemed a little nasty. Have you have you guys been able to kind of mend that a little bit? Uh, well, you know, people ask me if I'm friends with Rosanna. If we could be friends, we'd be married. I'm not friends <laughs> with my ex-wife. And, and men that tell me, oh, I'm still best friends with my ex-wife, and I'm remarried to another woman. I go, that's shady. That is shady. Uh, <laughs> my thing is, uh, you know, we met when I was 23, the comedian in the Midwest. She just started comedy out of Denver. She wasn't famous yet. She's a little older than me, but she was very good comedian. And she was a mom, and so which I liked. And she was a feminist. I never heard that. I came from a meatpacking plant. She was the most liberal person, you know, and I learned a lot from her. You know, I was sort of her like bodyguard, the guy for the meat. I'm sure that's what she saw in me. And then I saw this other world uh, from her. And we we, we got married eventually. Uh, um and uh, it was good for, for a while. It was great. But, but then it went, you know, as sometimes happens in relationships. And uh, I think that both of us, what I know is, I can't say this in every circumstance, we both tried everything we could. We mm-hmm. did. I know she did. She knows I did. And, and you know, it had to be, uh, you know, we were waiting on each other to file for divorce. And then she said all kinds of, uh, you know, crazy stuff about me, which she you know, which comes up again with the right wing media when they're doing me. They don't put the week after that she apologized publicly and said it was her lawyer or whatever. But you know, there's no reason to be 
you know, she she immediately got remarried. She uh, uh, they had a baby, which I, I'm happy. I'm happy when my ex-wives get married because man, I don't trust myself. I'll go back with them. But mm. <laughs> talked. We had not talked except for some jokes back and forth for 18 years. And I did uh, her roast. I uh, which is a big deal. Uh, she had her Comedy Central roast. I I get a call from a, a guy that's the producer, Joel uh, uh, Gallant. He goes, oh, I just butt-dialed you, Tom Arnold. You know, I'm doing this little bad roast. I go, yes, you are. He goes, I haven't talked to her, so don't. But would you uh, be willing? I said, Joel, uh, I would be willing to consider it, but unless you ask me at the last minute. And I said, because if I do agree to this, I want to be good. I don't want last-minute scrambling and me not having jokes or, you know, I'd rather just not do it. And mm-hmm. so he's like, yeah, I get that. Um, and then the week of the roast, it was Saturday. Uh, uh, there's a, a voice message from Roseanne to call her, and uh, which she hadn't left me a voicemail for a long time. And so I called Joel Gallup first. I go, what's she going to ask me? And he goes, well, she's going to ask you to dress up like a waiter, come in the middle of the roast, serve her a drink, and then leave. That I go, and he goes, that'll be hilarious. I go, that yeah, that's not funny. People will be so. I don't even address her. I don't do it. They wrote something. He goes, "No, it's great." I go, "That doesn't work for me." So then the next day, uh, calls him. Okay, here's the deal: you you are part of the roast. You come out, surprise guest. You roast the people on the dais. There's a bunch of great comedians out there, and uh, you roast them. Then you turn to Roseanne and uh, Miss Buffer or whatever, and then you leave. I go. Let me. So I'm coming to Roseanne Rose. I'm Tom Arnold, and I'm not going to roast Roseanne. People will be so mad, and I'm. That's ridiculous. Uh, hmm. um, and uh, you know, I, I do remember talking to my fourth ex-wife again. They were calling. Then they're out offering big money, all this stuff on Thursday, and she did leave me a nice message. And my ex-wife said I was working out. I said I'm not going to even return anybody's calls. My lawyer's calling about. And she goes, well, uh, do you want to do the roast? And I, th- I thought about it. I thought, yeah, I do. And I said, she goes, well, maybe you should just do it. Probably because they're paying a lot of money too. But so Friday said, I will do it. But the roast is Saturday. And then my lawyer called. We couldn't, we legally could not be in the same room. We had restraining orders against each other from our divorce. And if, if she made a comment about uh, my penis she had to pay me $100,000, the same with her body. So all night Friday night, these lawyers in New York and L.A. sat, had to rework all of that, all of that stuff. And then finally, I get a call Saturday morning. Okay, it's worked out. You're going to be there. And then I realized I don't have, you know, jokes. I called Jen, Jen Kirkman. I go, I can't believe I'm doing this. After I said I wouldn't do it the last minute. But, but we sat there and talked. I realized, well, actually, I do have. 18 jokes, one joke per year. So we had not been gathered. I kind of cast <laughs> it out. I go down there, and it was a secret that I was there. Very solid things in TV are secrets. But I didn't know for sure I was doing it. You know, they had me hidden in the trailer. They had the big show here in Hollywood. I was out back. Nobody knew I was there, none of the other comedians. And I also thought, he might change her mind. I know her. Like, she mm-hmm. can say, oh, he's down here stalking me, having him arrested. So, I never really believed it was going to happen until that the security came up and said, okay, we want to walk you up to the 
backstage and Jane Lynch, who's wonderful, was the MC. She didn't know. And, uh, you know, I there had already been some Tom Arnold jokes, which is something I knew would happen whether I was there or not. And uh, she said, um, they, he, the producer went out and talked to her, and she goes, well, somebody else would like to uh, comment on the evening. Because she really didn't know. It said Tom Arnold. And the audience uh, kind of laughed. Another Tom Arnold joke. And then when I walked out, I could feel them. It was a, it's a very rare, real moment. Anthony Jesselnick and Amy Schumer were in shock. They're sitting around here at this thing. And uh, I was so nervous, um, you know, but I just wanted to get in and do my jokes, get out and uh, say something nice, which uh, the, the roast side, the old Dean Martin roast, you know, those, they'll, they'll, they trash each other, but then they, they'd also say something really nice to the person they're honoring. And I, I genuinely thought about that. I was writing the nice thing I was going to say down before I went there. And I felt myself like a little emotional. And I, I remember thinking, I'm not going to, there's no way I'm going to be, I better get over that because I don't want to be that way on TV. And, uh, and, and it was a thanking her for, for, you know, an analogy of when she went to Carson, you know, and, you know, and then she was my Carson, you know, she mm -hmm. said that guy's talented. He's funny. And I appreciate that. So as I'm getting ready to leave the stage, I realized I hadn't watched any of the rest of the show. And I know I said, she's sitting over here. We haven't even made eye contact. So I thought, what, the other comedians do when they left? Do they uh, give her a high five, whatever? And so I, I got done. I thought that was, I turned to her and it was all you, you can see it. It's like awkward. Hey. And then I got backstage and I said, let get the bike off. I had to. One of the nice things they gave me was a, a G4 uh, Gold Street to fly me from LA to Nashville to shoot my show the next morning. Like mm -hmm. you know, by myself, which is crazy. Um, but uh, I get the bike off. All of a sudden, she comes backstage. And she's like, hey, um, I just want to tell you how much that meant to me. It's good to bury the hatchet. Like, And then a bunch of paparazzi came around and said, oh, let's do a picture. And she said, no, I, I, I have to go to the bathroom. Now, what I, I thought, well, she must not want a picture. So mm -hmm. I'm, I'm gone, get out of there. And I'm on the way to the airport and, and tell my ex, other ex-wife about it. And she said, did you take a picture with her? I go, no, she didn't want to. I said, if she would have wanted to take a picture, she would have taken it right there. With both mm -hmm. She said, you are <laughs> you don't know anything about women. She's not going to take a picture with her ex-husband without going and looking at herself in the mirror to make sure she looks great. Yeah. So, yeah, that was a little. But, you know, then I thought, that's it. I'll talk to her again in 18 years. And mm -hmm. then the stuff started. And, and uh, very... You know, she's uh she's she's all in, man. She's all yeah. in. And yeah. uh, you know. But I also yeah. here's what I think, my real opinion. She but just her history, uh she has a, a history of being all in on people, whether it be her dad, her first husband, second husband, third husband, uh whoever it is. And then something happens and then she turns on them and says you're responsible for ruining this, whatever. It's her way of then she can move on and go, Jesus, all that stuff with Trump. Yeah, that's that wasn't my fault. Trump is terrible because she used to. Hate you, she she may be the only person that can take Donald Trump down. Trump <laughs> has a serious penis. I can see her doing this. You know, whatever it is, 
but uh but she she does have that that thing where all of a sudden she goes oh shit i need to blame turn on this person and uh you know, hopefully her and Trump will take each other down. <laughs> well, I want to ask you, you know, tell me, now that you've kind of buried the hatchet, you know, looking back, I mean, you've had a great career, obviously, and, and you really got a, a big break with Roseanne and being on the show, being a writer. So as you look back on all these years, do you, you know, what is, what has Roseanne meant to you? Well, I mean, she gave me my, obviously by big break you know also the fact that from the first night we met each other a, a guy came out to denver and saw her that guy that owned a comedy club said hey there's a woman i just saw that you're gonna love you guys are gonna be hit it off i want you guys to work together the whole weekend and uh i remember watching her and thinking oh i've never seen somebody like this uh, funny uh tough uh, you know uh um, you know a woman uh um and then, and then she, the secret, you know, and I, I say this to women, we know we're good looking as men, but if you tell us we're funny, then you got us forever. And she thought I was funny. And the confirmation that somebody I knew was funny and respected felt the same way about me. That was, you know, that, that everybody needs that in their career. And then I, uh, uh, you know, we hung out a lot, we partied a lot. You know, because she had a, a husband and kids back home, which made it more interesting. And uh, and then uh, uh, she said, I would like you to write some jokes for me. I think that's a good way to, you know. And so I, I, I you know, I knew her character. So I started writing jokes. And the first time she went on Johnny Garson in 1985, I was back in Minneapolis watching with all my friends, watching my friend Rosanna. She killed, you know, that thing where he asked her to sit down. And immediately you have a career, you have a hundred million dollar show, whatever. But she did a couple of jokes I'd written, and I was like, "That was very satisfying." Mm-hmm. Like I like that feeling, you know. I like feeling that my friend killed it, but also that that I could learn to do that thing because, you know, that was like, okay, maybe I'll be a writer. And then she had an HBO special in 1987, and she said, "I want you to come out." Uh, I think it might have been the first time I was in LA ever. Because I wanted to play my husband on the, we were not a couple. Mm-hmm. I wanted to play my husband on this HBO special. I was like, oh my god, I'm gonna be on an HBO special, and uh, it was great fun. And and then uh, she said, well, um, uh, 1988, they, they want to do a show with me, uh, the people that do Cosby Show, and I want you to play my husband. I was like, that seems like, you know, I mean, I did some theater, but that mm-hmm. seemed like a lot. I remember being a little. Like, wow, are you, you, you know, because doing the HBO special is easy, wonderful thing. And uh, I knew that they'd been looking for other people, too. I mean, so we went in to meet the producers, Kaisi Warner, uh, um, to talk about me being the husband. And I was like, you know, I said, you know, they, they were having John Goodman come in and some other people. And I said, I, you know what, I, I really, uh, I know your character. I know what you want to do with the show. I'd rather, I think it'd be best for the writer. Mm-hmm. And uh, and that's what that's what we did, and uh, very uh, rewarding. I think it's also, you know, when I think of all the people I hired to write on that show, whether it be Norm Macdonald, just a, a bunch of great comedians that I brought out from the Midwest, my friends, my roommates, and um, you know, it, it's it's good to give someone a break if they make you look good, 
And I think that while the show was on, I worked on it six years, uh, you know, she could say, well, see, you know, he's good at his job. He's good for the show. He gets it. And uh, and I think that's important. I think, um, you know, because if you do stand up for somebody, you know, there's stuff like, I'm doing this because I'm your friend, but, but the way I always looked at it is I know my friend is genuinely funny, has an interesting take as a stand-up comedian. I'll teach him how to write a script. Here's there's the form of a script. Put whatever it is you have that magic in this script. Write the characters as they're supposed to be, but then add something to it. And that always worked with the Roseanne show. We had some old-time Hollywood writers. Me and the other executive producer kind of split the writing staff because you needed old-timers to kind of. And then I brought in all these new guys who uh, did an amazing job, and they went on to have their own shows and create things. So. It was a good, when it lasted, uh, uh, the six years, you know, I, I arguably the best six years of the show. Um, all shows are like that. All shows, yeah. we have a time, you know, they run a course and then they start jumping the shark or whatever. I will say she always wanted the, the Connors to win the lottery. I was like, God, that's not happening. That mm -hmm. Guys don't win the lottery. That's what's great about this family. And the second I left, they won the lottery, and it made it super weird. But uh, but I'm very blessed to be out there. I worked with a lot of great people, and and uh, I think that was you know that's enough. But uh, but I certainly root for her to, you know, people don't realize the last season of the show, John Goodman wasn't even there. Yeah. Um, and uh, it got. I think the show. I was on six years, and there are three more, and and things you know started getting. A little weird, and I I do think part of it is her personality that no matter what happens, it's not quite good enough. Like she did not get the created by credit on the Rosetta, which is bananas. Mm -hmm. Obviously, her show, her, but the the Writers Guild gave it to this other guy, and she never got over that. I mean, I don't, and and uh, and so and then she got all this acclaim for for the acting, comedy, writing, all this other stuff. Uh, but then she she wanted to be a director. Because she wanted mm -hmm. directors that they, it wasn't them. It was, you know, and uh, and that went off the rails, you know. Uh, I think that uh, God blesses you with, uh, you know, if you're ble blessed to have some talent, we all have talents. But but people, he, God doesn't usually give you everything. Like, right. you're a great comedian. Oh, you're a great singer. You should sing the national anthem at a baseball game. <laughs> like, like, I knew in that moment when she's like, they say I can sing. I was like, you can sing, but that's a hard song. Let's let's not do that. And uh, you know, obviously, she didn't listen to me, but you know, yeah. he sang a song. What? I don't, who cares? Yeah. Well, I have to ask. You know, one of the things I love about you in in your uh, career is that when you you play characters that almost make the scenes and make the movies. The two movies that I'm thinking about, we've already talked a little bit about nine months. And then True Lies was another one that you were involved in. Obviously, that's where you struck struck up your friendship with Arnold, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. But man, your characters in those movies really made the movies. Yeah. Uh, well, that's a good character, you know, and, and smart people. Like Roseanne, we, we put great actors around her. She had not acted a lot, but Laurie Metcalf's is one of the best actors in America. Step Wolf Theater. John Goodman has done so much. And still, uh, uh, Parsons that played her mom. These are great, solid actor actors, and then the kids were great too. 
But uh, and that's what you do. You know, you go, okay. My thing is, you know, I'm not known as the best actor, but I I am the glue that holds this together. And and with uh, True Lies, particularly, it came out after Rosanna got divorced. So there was a period of time where uh, she files for divorce. It says all this stuff about me in, in uh, April 1994. Everybody's like, yeah, he will Tom Arnold. He, he will never work again. He wrote her coattails. He's going to be back in Iowa and, uh, in two weeks. And I remember thinking, that's probably true. But but I am going to have great stories to tell my grandkids about working on one of the best television shows ever. And uh, I'm Arnold and Jim Cameron like, F those people. This movie comes out July 14th. It's going to change everything. And I really wanted to believe it, but I just, I just thought, no way. But it did. And it did because it's so good in it. And that was me being the most expensive movie ever made at the time. Such good. Uh, uh, you know, I was super grateful. Not only was I grateful that while we were filming, I had somewhere to go that wasn't, you know, the divorce stuff. And I could, you know, travel around and do exciting things to these guys. But, uh, you know, and Jim Cameron, to his credit, um, they were casting my part. I knew a lot of really good actors that come in and met with about my part. And so my agent called said, Jim Cameron wants to meet you for the part in your life. I go, that's bullshit. bullshit. <laughs> and I said, it's a mercy meeting. I know what you did. William Morris called him and said, I think we think Tom and Rosanna are leaving the agency. Please meet with Tom Arnold. I know you're not going to cast him, but just please. And so I almost didn't go to the meeting. And then I thought, wait a minute. I want to meet Jim Cameron. Like, this is my only chance. I'm a huge fan of this. This is my only chance to meet him. So I go over there in his office and uh, shoot in the shed. He's a very nice guy. Very cool guy. I ask him a question. Then all of a sudden he says, okay, now uh, do the audition scene. And I was like, I got to be honest. I read it. I get, yeah, yeah. And he's like, oh, I'm not getting the movie. So why even try? It seems less disappointing if I don't try it, I can say. And he looked at me, he's like, well, it's three pages. Just read it. So I read this three pages to him once. And then he said, hey, let's get Arnold down here. I, I didn't know Arnold Schwarzenegger was upstairs. It's a loft up there the whole time I've been there. And Jim Cameron said he cast me because when Arnold was walking down the stairs, we were both watching him. And I said, I can take him. Like I generally met you. The Arnold I did the scene once. It was you know we amazing chemistry, and in that movie is what our chemistry is in real life. I got the that to this day, um, and then he, and then he said you got the part, Tom, and uh, but don't tell anyone for two weeks. And I was like, oh my god, I I'm not going to tell anyone the best news of my life. For two weeks, I'm gonna hold it. But I went right out to my car, called everybody, remember out those big phones, and nobody believes me. My my own uh, wife was like, "Are you back on drugs?" And I remember thinking, "What?" And that night in front of the mirror, I look at myself like, "Maybe that didn't happen. Maybe I'm. <laughs> Why would he ask me to wait two weeks? Well, the reason was I didn't know. He told me after the movie came out, he had to go to Fox Studios and give them the good news, and he. He came in there and he said uh, to the president, oh, we found the third guy after Jamie Lee and Arnold, and we could start filming True Lives out there. Like, that's fantastic news, Jim Cameron. Who is it? Hey, right. Sonny, I'm coming back. I'm not, oh, my God, my son. Are, you still, are we still on? 
Oh yeah, we're still, still okay. I gotta find your face. Uh, can you see my face? I can. You can. I can. I don't know. Sad about it. Doing a podcast will take a chance. That what? I'm doing a podcast with the fellow. <laughs> this is my favorite podcast ever. <laughs> Um, on Saturday at two ET. Yeah. Leave me alone because there's a live event in Fortnite at, on December second, yeah. Saturday, uh, two p.m. ET. Because guess what? Guess who's coming? Who? Guess guess he's having his own concert. Logan Paul. Uh, uh, who? <laughs> Eminem. Oh wow! Where does it take place? Eminem, it's coming to Fortnite. Oh, that's great. Well, I'll make sure you have that that side uh, yourself and your page. Someone wrote about you being a professional too. I can't remember who. I'll I'll, I'll get back to you. On that. Please, I let me finish up with this fellow. I've been kind of running him around all day because of my bullshit. All right. Okay, love you, bro. I love you too. Bye. Bye. Right, are you still with me? I am, and I got to tell you, you're welcome to play I, that whole. <laughs> I'm going, I think I'm going to, and the reason is, is because nothing says it. dad more than that. Yeah, like yeah, I, I don't know how many times I've been in the middle of a depot and a bunch of phone calls from my son, yeah. and he answer, and I answer, and he goes, "Hey, how's it going?" And I'm like, "Good." And he goes, "Can I buy something on Fortnite?" <laughs> oh, <laughs> oh, you know we have a lot of fun with you and I. Um, so anyway, no. back to true lines though about the about dropping the dropping the, the news. I'm gonna try to see your face. You can see my face, right? I, I can see your face. You can't? Yeah. Okay. Yes. Okay. So uh uh the reason that uh uh I found out after the movie came out because he had to go let uh, Fox News know. By the way, True Lies is the most expensive movie ever made. He goes to in there, we can start filming the movie, yay. We found the third guy after uh, Arnold and Jamie Lee. Yeah, oh my God, that's great news. Who is it? It's Tom Arnold. They're like, that is horrible news, Jim Gavin. He's like, why do you say that? Well, yeah, I mean, this guy hasn't done anything. Don't you read the tabloids? Like, he is a crazy person. And Jim Gavin, to his credit, says, no, I don't read the tabloids. But I wrote this movie, and he is the guy. And they're like, well, sorry, Jim, but we cannot approve Tom Arnold for this movie. And Jim Cameron said, no, no, I'm the one that's sorry. Because now I'm going to walk across the street and make it a paramount. And mm-hmm. they were like, whoa. Okay, we'll give him a chance. He'll be like on a day-to-day. But to have somebody stand up for you, you know, I mean, the uh, uh, the Roseanne show was a huge break. Roseanne, but it, then to have James Cameron, you know, and Arnold Schwarzenegger stand up for you. Uh, you don't need too many of those things, man. If yeah. that happens a couple times in your career, that's a you know, those are those are home runs, and I'm, I'm grateful to to uh, uh, both of them. And, yeah, uh, and that's awesome. Did, so. that, that's really awesome, and you know what a what a perfect time for something like that to happen because I'm sure as you're going through this, confidence is a little low, you know, and something like that yeah. really changed. Oh, I what I did is I'm like you know. And she did a thing where she wanted, she called up the heads of every network saying, if you work with him, you will never work with me. And this is when she was very powerful, you know. And uh, so I was like, well, again, how I'm so blessed to come out to Hollywood and do these things. And, you know, I mean, that's the whole run. There's no, uh, 
you know, it's over, but I've been just grateful. And then to have True Lies happen right after. And when True Lies test screened, that's where they put 300 people in a, in a theater. They don't know what movie they're going to watch. All of a sudden it comes on. A James Cameron movie. People are like, oh, my God. Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yay. Jamie Lee Curtis. Yay. Tom Arnold. People booed. But mm. at the end of the movie, they fill out these cards. Who did you like the best in this movie? And it was always my character. So in that two-hour movie, I, I changed the perception of, of being a loser with no talent to, oh, he, he must be a pretty good guy and he's talented. And uh, not that that's how you should judge people in life, but that's kind of the uh, Hollywood, you know, way. So not that I haven't screwed up, done things uh, not great in my career since then, but once you've had those kind of things happen, when you work for three years on the kill floor of a beef packet plant, you know, to get enough money to go to college, you not, that might give you an opportunity to do what you want to do, to become a comedian or whatever. And then you then you make it and, and uh it's a it's a it's a good feeling and it makes things easier as I became a father later in life. Like, you know, if you're a single dad and you've kind of got dealt with all the nonsense that my kids and I have. Uh, you got to put yourself into it. You got to be, you know, you heard your red son bossing you around. But no, you got to be, you, you got to be kind of done with the, the old part of your life, some of the other stuff. You got to be sober. You know, you got to uh, be nice to people, you know, respectful. You have to show them. Um, and, uh, but it's the best thing. So if I could say, well, my real dream growing up was to have a family. That's really what my dream was. Yeah, my own family because my family was so funky. I just wanted to have, I wanted unconditional love, and mm-hmm. you know, you try to get that. You say I love you unconditionally during your wedding, but there, that's bullshit. There are conditions, as there should be. Right. But the board, the children board, you go. Oh no, it's on. Mm-hmm. These unconditional love both ways. I can never complain about that. So I'm very grateful. Thank you for having me on your podcast, Josh. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I appreciate you coming on. And, uh, you know, real quick, as we as we go out, I just want to say, like I said, you've been, a you know, you're somebody who's been a big part of of my childhood growing up. You know, the, the Roseanne show. I, I love that show. Yeah, I know you're a big writer on it because yeah. it reminded me a lot of my family. And uh, and so I appreciated you doing that because it's like a warm blanket for me. And so um, well, for those. I think another thing, too, that I'm grateful I took I took a lot of a tumble aisle where I grew up mm-hmm. and put it on the show, you know, which is an opportunity to have. And you know, we, we had a little loose meat sandwich uh, restaurant they grow it up and you probably don't even know what that is. And so Roseanne worked at a loose meat sandwich place and different people I knew from growing up and I don't know if you do writing, but you take the people, you know, and uh, you, you can always create and, and recreate. And my thing was the last thing I was saying I said to people when I was still in a tumble aisle, when I was still a bank play, uh, I feel like um, if I could just get on TV one time, everybody in my hometown would, would love me. And that's just not true. <laughs> uh, but, you know, you got to say, this is what I want to do. And uh, and then, you know, quickly, even by my third year at the Beatpacky Flat, I mean, my grandpa had worked there 50 years. And I started looking around, and people were happy there. 
and they were happy because they had families. And I started thinking, what if I don't get out of here? You know, it is a pretty good job, and 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 I, what if I have to figure out a way to be happy here? And I, and then I realized nobody, there's no way I could get from Potomac, Iowa, to Hollywood. It's just not possible. I couldn't even think like how that happens. Like that's never happened. So how I must be crazy. And and that weekend I went out to our little disco in Ottumwa, Iowa. And I walked out at the end of the night and there was Andy Kaufman standing right there. Wow. And he was from you know, he's from Taxi, great comedian, really interesting. And I and I went up to him and said, How did you get here? And he said, uh, well, I was I'm uh, studying transcendental meditation twenty miles from here at Fairfield. And there was a there was a women's wrestling event at your Coliseum tonight, and I went to it. Then I paid everybody to stay later at WrestleMe because he was wrestling further. That was his place. And then he said, "I took everybody to Happy Joe's Pizza uh, in school buses." And Happy Joe's Pizza is the best pizza in the world. I don't yeah. know how, but I I thought that's what I want. I want to be in a position where I could take everybody to Happy Joe's Pizza. And once I knew he could get there, I go. The tubes must go both ways, so I, it is possible for me to get there. Anyway, thank you very much. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. And anybody who's listening, uh, subscribe. we got more exciting stuff coming up. Tom Arnold, it's been a pleasure. Thank you, buddy. You take it easy.